join me, would you, in your copy of God's Word, uh, again, in the sermon-like letter, letter-like sermon uh, called Hebrews, toward the back of the New Testament, right before James, and coming right after the pastoral letters to Timothy and to Titus. Today, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, we are going to see that Jesus is greater than Joshua, that great figure of the Old Testament. The most restful weekend that I can remember having uh, occurred in, uh, I think it was June of 2017, at Whitewater Lake in Wisconsin. Uh, there, over that weekend, through uh, friends of friends of extended family, we were able to spend several days at a lake house, a really nice lake house at Whitewater Lake. Uh, there in Wisconsin, all the food was planned for, everything was taken care of. There was no work to be done. There were kayaks to take out on uh, the, the lake and paddle boards and children to throw in the water and hammocks to lay in. And it was an awesome, restful weekend. Uh, but when that weekend was over, I still had to go back to my regular schedule. Uh, busy schedules, hectic routines, uh, back to ministry and summer life and things going on in the life of the church during that summer. Uh, we were in a transition period as a church at that time between uh, senior pastors before the church called me. There was a little bit of stress in my life that I was coming back to. And while I had a really restful weekend, that one weekend at Whitewater Lake in 2017, what I really needed in the long term was not just a weekend getaway, but a rhythm of life that was truly restful. You see the difference between a vacation and a rhythm of life that is truly restful. Here in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, we're going to continue to, uh, in, in uh, uh, studying the explanation and exposition that the author of Hebrews is giving of Psalm 95. You can read his citation of it there in chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. As he further demonstrates the urgency of the call to trust Jesus as the one who resets our lives so that rest is not just a vacation sort of concept, but so that rest is an ongoing reality, a rhythm of our life, and not just a temporary break. Here we'll find in these verses, as our author shows us, that Jesus is greater even than Joshua, that man who led the people of Israel into the promised land, because the rest that Jesus gives God's people through faith in him is perfect and complete. It's not just temporary. It's not just a ceasing from work. It is real rest. And the main idea that I want for us to, to get a hold of today as we study these verses is this, that there is rest for those who strive to believe God. There is rest for those who strive, who work hard to believe God. And we'll unpack that here in just a moment. And as we study this scripture this morning, I would hope that we would uh, be reminded or begin to think rightly about salvation, to think rightly about rest in order that we would truly enter into the kind of rest that Christ gives and that we would live in the rest that he gives us. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. The author of Hebrews carried along and the Holy Spirit writes this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. 
as he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. There again, citing the last part of Psalm 95. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, citing from Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted there in Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sword of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There is rest for those who strive to believe God. There is rest. We see in these verses, first verses one through five, that rest comes to us by faith. Rest comes to the people of God as they trust what God has said. This is true because the rest that God had for his people, for Israel, was not entered into, the rest of the land, of the promised land of Canaan, was not entered into by that rebellious generation in the wilderness who rejected God's command for them to go in and take the land and instead died in the desert. They did not receive rest because of their unbelief. The author of Hebrews showed us this last week at the end of chapter three, and he's uh, uh, further illustrating, he's underlining that for us here this morning. It is important for us at this point to remember that rest, this concept of rest that the author of Hebrews is, is, is uh, fleshing out for us here, is not found in the absence of labor. Rest is not found in the absence of labor. True rest is in the reality of relationship with God. Verse 2 demonstrates for us that though that rebellious generation heard the good news, they heard the promise of God of rest in the land if they would trust and depend upon him, they have heard that good news the same as we have. So the gospel that we've received, that there is reconciliation with God and restoration in relationship to him through faith in Jesus is a similar message, the same message, although totally fulfilled in Christ, that the Israelites heard in the wilderness before going into Canaan. The message is that by trusting God, there is righteousness, there's righteousness through faith, and there is life with him who created us. But those who did not believe God in the wilderness, those who did not believe God then, did not enter the relationship with God that those who believed did. They were not united by faith to those who listened. And so it is with us today as well. Those who are outside of a relationship with God by faith in Jesus are not united to those, united by faith to those who have listened. Those who live in unbelief today are still under the judgment of God. They're still outside of relationship with him. But God still invites us to enter into rest. He invited his people to enter into rest. And the rest that God gives is 
is, is, as we said, not found in the absence of labor, but found in the in right relationship with God. The rest that God gives is the kind of rest that he has over creation. Verse 4 cites Genesis chapter 2. Right on the seventh day, God rested from all of his works, the author of Hebrews says. The kind of rest that God has on the seventh day after creating the world in six days is not a divine vacation. God, who is all-powerful, is not exhausted by the work of creating. Right? Rather, when God rests on the seventh day, he rests as a king who rests to rule and to reign over his kingdom, you see? So then when God invites people to enter into his rest by faith in him, to depend upon him, to give all of their lives in, in dependence upon his plan for them, he is inviting all who hear his voice not to take a spiritual vacation, but to trust him and to enter into the rest of his sovereign care, to enter in under his rule and his reign, not just over the cosmos, but over their lives as well. Rest comes by faith. It comes by dependence upon God. And resting is not found in an absence of labor, but is found in right relationship with God who rules and reigns over all things. Going further, the author of Hebrews shows us in verses 6 through 10 that Jesus is the one who grants a rest that is greater than ever Joshua could. The kind of rest that Joshua, that leader of Israel who led the people alongside uh, people of Israel alongside Caleb into the promised land, Joshua brought a, a kind of political rest to the people, a, a, a kind of um, uh, existential, well, I don't know if I'd call it existential, a, a circumstantial rest. They, they rested in the land that God had given them. But, but we see the people of Israel continuing to fight and strive against God, even as they're in the land. They're constantly uh, having to fight against the pool of idolatry and, and worship of false gods and worshiping God wrongly. So even though they're in the land, the promised land, the land of rest, they're not necessarily always at rest with God. And so because the rest that God stands to give as we come to him by faith, because that rest was not fully realized in the, by that, that wilderness generation, even those who entered the land after, that invitation to rest remains open to all those who will believe. And so David, the king of Israel, 500 years after the people entered the land of Canaan, gives this promise in Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but enter into his rest. That invitation still stands. That invitation still open. And the rest that David invites those who would read that psalm to enter into is the same rest that is secured by Jesus and not by Joshua. It is interesting that the names Jesus and Joshua in, in Hebrew and in Greek are the same name. In Hebrew, they are Yeshua. In Greek, they are Jesus. And if you were to read uh, Hebrews 4, uh, uh, 4 verse 8, as the author is speaking about Joshua, if you were reading it in Greek, that name that would come up there in verse 8 would be Jesus, and you would have to make a decision. Is he talking about Jesus or is he talking about Joshua? The name means the same. And the name means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation, that personal name of God combined with the idea of salvation. And so Joshua from the Old Testament is kind of a figure. He's a type. He's a shadow that points to the reality, the, the true Savior who is God in flesh, who is Jesus. Joshua does not give himself the kind of rest that God promises, but the true Joshua, Jesus the Christ, he does. Joshua of the Old Testament is not a failed leader. We're not meant 
by Hebrews 4 to look at Joshua uh, and Caleb as they led the people in the promised land and think, oh, what a putz, right? This guy's good for nothing. He's pointless. No, we're, we're supposed to see things in him that are admirable. We're supposed to see his faith, his trust in God, his dependence, and say, that is a good thing, right? He, he is giving a, a, an exemplary model of trust in God. And yet, Joshua is not, even for all of his um, uh, all of his, his admirable attributes, is not able to do for the Israelites what only God could do for them. Joshua is not able to bring the people of Israel into right relationship with God. Only Jesus, the true Joshua, can do that. Living in the land of promise was not the same as entering God's rest. And the people of Israel demonstrate that all throughout the Old Testament as they continue to butt heads with the holy God who has saved them. Entering God's rest happens not as we just take over a land, as maybe was the case with the Israelites, but entering God's rest happens not as we do more stuff, but as we do fewer things. Really entering into the rest that God gives us, the right relationship with him happens as we cease from working. Look at verses 9 and 10. The author says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest. For the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works, as God rested from his. These verses are a sort of call to rest in the care, the provision, and rest in the worship of God in a Sabbath sort of way. On the seventh day of creation, after creating the world in six days, on the seventh day, God rested. That first Sabbath was not for God to take a divine vacation, but for him to sit as king over all of his kingdom. And then every Sabbath day after that, in the life of his people, every seventh day was to be a reminder for God's people of God's sovereign rule over all things. One day of every week, his people were to stop working to provide for themselves, to rest in the provision and care of God. One day a week, the people were to stop from all of their striving that they might rest in worship of God. One day uh, out, of, out of working, six days prior, the people of Israel were to stop, to cease from everything, to rest in the presence and care of God. And so the author of Hebrews playing on this theme says that in Christ there is now, today, presently, an ongoing and eternal rest. Not just one day out of seven, but seven days out of seven, an ongoing and eternal rest from works. What kind of works? Well, specifically here, works of righteousness, works of trying to keep the law, working to maintain on your own effort a relationship with God, working to try to prove yourself worthy to God, worthy of receiving his grace. There is rest from all of that to depend upon the care, provision, and worship of God as we come to him by faith in Jesus. Remember Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10 says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, not by works, so that no man can boast. Rest comes by faith, faith in God. Jesus grants that rest more perfectly than Joshua, whom he is far greater than ever could. And so we see in verses 11 through 13 that there is the promise of rest. It is real for those who strive to believe God. 
Because rest comes by faith, because Jesus gives us that rest, we must work hard to believe Christ, to believe the promise of God that we might enter into rest. Verse 11 says, let us therefore strive, work hard, give great effort to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, the disobedience of that wilderness generation. There's this here, this this exhortation, this encouragement for the church to believe God and enter into that relationship of restoration and reconciliation to rest in his presence. And the author gives this exhortation. He says, let us strive because he he is genuinely afraid that some may have missed it. Remember, the author of Hebrews is not talking to non-believers. He's not talking to people outside the church. He's talking to people inside the church. And he is sincerely afraid that there may be people associated with the church of Jesus Christ who have misunderstood salvation and rest. Look again at chapter four, verse one. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, he says, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The author of Hebrews is terrified that someone who claims to be a Christian may not actually know Jesus. So he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let let us strive to take hold of the, the true definition of salvation and rest so that we might not fall by disobedience. He says, strive. He says, work hard to enter that rest. Now in the light of what he has just said in verse 10, whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. This word strive sounds a little bit contradictory, doesn't it? If you've entered God's rest, you've ceased from all your working. So work hard to enter rest. What do you mean, brother? We know that we are not saved by God on account of our righteous deeds, but on account of our faith in Jesus who completes the work of salvation for us. And so the author says, strive to enter that rest. What he's saying is strive to obey the call to believe. Work hard not to be disobedient. Work hard to fight the the pool of sin in your heart that says you gotta do it on your own. You need to prove God your own way. You need to to demonstrate that you are worthy of God's grace. What, What the author of Hebrews is saying is stop living according to the lie of your sinful heart that says you gotta do it. Work hard to fight that that pull to be autonomous, to live on your own terms, to take care of your own spiritual destiny. Work hard to put that thing in you to death to obey the call to God who says, trust me, depend upon me, look at my son, stop working to earn my favor. You have my love, receive my grace. Jesus says, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Who's he talking to? He's speaking to people who are heavy laden, who are burdened, who are weary from trying to live up to the expectations of the religious elite in their day, the Pharisees who were experts in the law, who were, who were holding the law over the heads of the people, giving them burdens they could not bear and burdens that the Pharisees themselves were not willing to help them lift people who were exhausted from from trying to please God the way that their trusted leaders had told them they must please God. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden by your attempts to be righteous by your own good deeds. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden by the expectations of religion that obscure relationship with God. 
Come to me, Jesus says. Believe on me. Trust that my death does away with your sin. Trust that my life is yours to share, and I will give you rest. The author of Hebrews is genuinely afraid. Let us fear that any of you should seem to have failed to reach that rest because it is entirely possible for in a a room like this of people who are mostly members of our church, for there to be some who are even members of our church that have misunderstood the call to grace, the call to faith, the call to trust Jesus. It is entirely possible for someone to believe the facts about the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for sins, rose from the dead, and yet feel or burdened by or weary from feeling like I have to go to church every week. I have to be in Sunday school. I have to give this. I have to do this. Otherwise, God's going to be angry with me. There are some who see their church attendance and their, and their church involvement not as a result of, of the, the, the love and desire that we have to grow closer to God, but, but our church attendance and our church work and our church service and our church giving, all is things that we have to do on our own to make sure that our relationship with God is right, as though somehow he's waiting for any moment to throw lightning down from heaven to strike you down because you missed church one week or something. Dear friends, that is not rest. And if you are following Jesus with that kind of burden upon your shoulders, I'm inviting you today to enter into true rest, to really trust Jesus, to believe that his work on the cross really did do away with sin in your life, that his resurrection from from the dead really did give you life as you trust in him. And I'm inviting you to be done with pretense to be done with pretending at church, to be, to be done with trying to maintain your own relationship with God as though somehow he's not capable in his power and his grace to maintain that relationship for you, to give you the desire to want to seek him. I'm inviting you to quit religion out of obligation and to enter into life with God, rest with God out of love for Jesus who did the work for you. There is rest for those who strive to believe God. There's rest for those who work hard to trust Christ with everything. Dear Christian, take a moment just now. Think about what the rest is that Jesus offers. Think about what it means to come to Jesus and to truly rest, not from labor, but to rest in right relationship with God. Can you say, rightly today, that your soul is resting by that definition? Have you been distracted by the pace of life, by the last several months of pandemic, by the changing nature and circumstances that are all around us all the time? This morning, I invite you then to slow your heart and to turn it to beat in time with God's grace, to rest in him. Dear friend, is your soul troubled and uneasy when you look at the injustice of the world? The constant conflict that we seem to find ourselves in societally now? Enter into rest. Walk in humble trust with Christ. Pursue justice. Love mercy as God has called his people to do. Knowing that all of these things are, are not done, pursuing justice, loving mercy, are not done in order to prove yourself holy, to prove yourself righteous, to make yourself righteous. 
but that pursuing justice and loving mercy are the evidence of a soul at rest, walking humbly with God. And they're not the, the means by which we attain rest. Listen, there are, there are calls constantly right now from our society, from our culture, to reconcile one another to each other in all sorts of ways, ethnically, economically, socially, internationally. But that, re- that, that reconciliation, even if we're able to attain it in our own effort, will not lead us to spiritual rest. So let us then instead depend upon God and let us walk humbly with him, doing what is right, loving the, the act of giving mercy to others because we have been made right with God. Dear friend, are you lost this morning? Are you here in this worship service, tired, weary from your search for rest in life? Are you weary from seeking God and not finding him? I'd invite you to come to Jesus today who says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Give yourself to knowing the son of God who reveals the father to us and who takes us to him as we trust Christ. There is rest, the ability to breathe, a rhythm of restfulness as we trust Jesus and enter into relationship with God by faith in him. Let's pray together. Sovereign God who gives us the promise of rest, of of restored relationship with you through faith in your son Jesus, this morning to you we say thank you. Thank you for the offer of true rest. And not just a vacation from hard work, but a real rhythm of restfulness as we depend upon you, your provision, your care, and as we thrive in worshiping you in every part of our lives. Holy Spirit, if there is one or two in this room who do not know the rest that Jesus gives us, I pray that you would warm their hearts to the hope of the gospel that by faith in Jesus, they may be made right with God the Father, with God who created them, with God who loved them so that he sent his son to give his life in their place to pay the penalty for their rebellion against the Father. Holy Spirit, lead them to trust Jesus, to find, really, truly find rest in him. Not rest in religion, but rest in faith in Jesus Christ and relationship with you. May we as a church be those who demonstrate in our lives and the things that we say and how we live in the world as those who are at rest with you first and who live in the world seeking to be those that are extending that invitation to rest in you. God, you have said that your word will never go out and return back to you empty, and we trust that it has done the work that you have intended in the hearts of those who have heard it this morning. Now glorify yourself in fulfilling your word in the hearts of those who hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.